Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Tonight's sutta is called the chapter is called the Sukhavaga. Sukha, um, the the best translation I think, or the most apt, is uh, human flourishing, where dukkha is uh, constant, ongoing disappointment, distress, uh, and distraction. Sukha is just the opposite. It's a deep contentment with life as life occurs, which also implies that we're actually present with life as life occurs. Um, you'll hear me read in a moment this. The profound um, contentment that's found in the in the Buddha's Dhamma. But as I was coming out of meditation, sitting here with you, all of you, including online, this is an expression of that, isn't it? What we're doing right here, right now. No matter what's going on out there, and you'll, the words of hostile world are mentioned in the sutta. No matter what's going on in the world, we come together and take true refuge in the Dhamma. And find true contentment, don't we? Yes? No? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a... And it, you'll... I'd probably say this more often than I should because it may be diminishing it, but it's such a beautiful sutta. Um, and understanding where it comes in this series of talks in the Dhammapada, uh, just about past the midpoint, um, it, there's a lot, and, and think about how the Dhammapada was probably used. Um, it's so encouraging to us. And these, these words of the Buddha from 2,600 years ago are just... Um, reinforcing our own commitment to, to living a life with, within sukha rather than dukkha. The Buddhist word from the Sukhavaga, profound contentment. The wise live content within a hostile world. Within a hostile world, the wise remain free of hatred. So apparently the thing that most manifests or manifests the most often in a mind rooted in ignorance within a hostile world is hatred. And you've often heard me talk about the primary issue with all human beings is this unrecognized ongoing self-loathing that is then expressed towards other people. And another word for self-loathing would be aversion, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, but also hatred towards ourselves and towards others because of that. The wise live content within a world afflicted by craving. Within an afflicted world, the wise remain free of that affliction. Afflict, afflicted to what? Afflicted to craving. Craving is the intense and immediate desire that my life be different than it is as it's occurring, meaning that I must be different than I am in this present moment. And that's the ongoing distraction. It's the thing that leads to, for most people, an entire life of grasping after something that will, that will bring sukha, but because we're looking in the wrong way, all we create is constant dukkha. The wise live content within a world afflicted by greed. Within an, within an insatiable world, the wise remain free of greed, the ultimate liberty. The wise live content, possessing nothing. And again, it, it, the line needs a little bit of clarity because to the uninformed, it could sound like the Buddha's teaching asceticism. We know that it, he's not teaching that because he, he experienced that and it's a very severe way and rejected that as painful and unproductive. What he's talking about is not clinging to the things of the world. And so if we just happen to pick up a brand new Ferrari 
that's fine as long as we don't identify with it, as long as we don't need it for our happiness. And again, I'm using an extreme example, but that could be a brand new tooth toothbrush or a hat or a pair of socks. If we're clinging to it, creating an identity over it, we're craving for and clinging for the experience. The wise live content, possessing nothing, clinging to nothing. The wise are sustained by peace and understanding. The fires of passion burn the hottest. Hatred is the highest crime, and it certainly is when you see the manifestations of it. There is no suffering like the five clinging aggregates. That could be almost a demoralizing line if we didn't understand the Dhamma, couldn't it be? Because the Buddha teaches us that the five clinging aggregates are the ongoing personal experience of ignorance, manifesting as dukkha, as suffering. But we also understand that the five clinging aggregates are us. We've created that by clinging to form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and ongoing deluded thinking. But here's the escape. And the escape is described as sukha, as human flourishing. When we recognize, and remember that the sutta, I can't think of the name of it now, awakening in a single paragraph, is, is pointed to just that. The five clinging aggregates are the problem. But they're not... They're not a problem in truth. They're only a problem in the relative world of ignorance. Once ignorance is, is understood and abandoned, there is no five clinging aggregates. There's nothing, there's nothing left to cling to. As a Buddha taught many times, the words that he was using, there's nothing left within me to provoke further ignorance. That's what he's describing as the state of sukha, of profound contentment. So, John? Yes, sir. That means the Ferrari is just a Ferrari. Yep. It's nothing more not to be identified as you. So there's still a hell of a lot of fun to drive. A, yes. But it's simply a neat car to get around in. Yep. And if you find yourself with a Ferrari in your garage, take it for a ride and enjoy it. Just don't think, I hope my neighbor sees me as I'm backing out. You know, I mean, it really is. It's just that practical. Because if we know if we do that, for one thing, we're diminishing even the experience of driving a Ferrari. Or for that matter, for driving a Pinto. I would love to drive a Pinto today. <laughs> you know, I mean, a relative truth. Mm -hmm. But to self-identify with things, to create an identity over it, to create piles of coconuts in our hut, just to prove that I'm better than the guy with lesser coconuts. That's the problem. And it's very practical teaching, isn't it? There's no sukha in needing to have a Ferrari in my garage. But there is sukha with not knowing I have a Ferrari in my garage or not being concerned about it or anything else. Or the fact that maybe I only have a Pinto and the guy next door has a... So what? All of it is irrelevant. All of it is an entanglement in the world. We're free of possessing. We, we possess nothing. But again, it doesn't mean that we're living lives as an ascetic. In fact, it's just the opposite. A life... Resting in sukha is the richest possible life we can have, no matter, what, no matter what's in our garage, no matter what's in our footlocker, no matter what's in our bank. It doesn't matter because we live in understanding and peace of, of what it means to be a human being. What it means to be a human being is to live in understanding in this state of profound contentment moment by moment. That's what the Buddha is teaching us. And again, it's right about in the middle of this, this classes on the, on the Dhammapada. And he's saying this is what we get when we practice appropriately. There is no higher pleasure than understanding. Craving is the worst disease. 
Conditioned thinking brings the worst suffering. Knowing this as it really is, the wise awaken. So again, what's this path all about? What are we doing here? We're recognizing that craving is the worst disease I can possibly have. Conditioned thinking brings the worst suffering possible for a human being. Knowing this, knowing this as it really is, the wise awaken. So what's awakening? It's understanding and abandoning craving for things to be different, me to be different, and my experience in life to be different than it is, no matter what it is. Ferrari or Pinto or nothing. Good health is highly esteemed. Contentment, though, I'm adding the word though. Contentment, though, is the greatest wealth. Contentment. And think about that. What more, what more could I want? Let me put that another way. I used to have a teacher and he wrote a really great book that has nothing to do with Buddhism, but I followed it for a long time. His name was Arnold Patton. He wrote a book called You Can Have It All and he taught a way that you can have it all. They'd imply that you're always grasping after what all that is. But if I'm content, I truly do have it all, don't I? Because I don't need anything else. Or you could say I don't need the all of anything. I'm perfectly content with knowing who I am and what I am and knowing what it means to be a human being right here, right now. And the reason I'm saying right here, right now is I'm not trying to figure out what it means to be a human being tomorrow when I have some great revelation because there is no great revelation except the abandonment of craving for things to be different than it is. A trustworthy person is the best friend. Ending ignorance is the highest joy. Having savored the, having savored the taste of solitude and release, free of distress, free of greed, aversion, and delusion, the disciple drinks deep the taste of truth. Association with the noble ones is blissful. Encountering fools is stressful. We all know that, don't we? Association with fools brings constant craving. We can't help but get caught up in that association. And what is the most the foolish, the most foolish thing a human being can do is crave for things to be different than they are. And so when we associate with fools, we can't help but fall into that type of craving because of our identification with. And again, we're talking about fools not in a, in a judgmental way. In relation to the Dhamma, anything that would promote craving is foolish, isn't it? And it's foolish because of our own understanding. It's foolish for me to chase after something that I need to, to continue to establish myself in a fabricated way. It's foolish because it leads to suffering. It leads to dukkha. It's the opposite of sukha. Association with fools is as painful as partnering, partnering with an enemy. Therefore, follow the noble one who is steadfast, wise, learned, arduous, a person of high integrity. Follow only such a person who is truly pure and wise as the moon follows the stars. Thank you. So you get my meaning when I said it's such a beautiful chapter? It really is. Um, let's go. Uh, let's go online, and I'd like to hear what Jane has to say tonight. How are you, Jane? I'm fine. How are you, John? I'm good. Thank you for asking. Uh, well, just a few weeks ago, I was talking to Matt about. Um, I said, "How come everything we talk about in Dhamma class is so dark, and the world is so 
you know, depressing. And I said, there are, there are things in the world that aren't, you know, dark. And like the good teacher he is, he let me figure it out for myself. <laughs> and uh, basically, that's not what the Buddha taught. I mean, the Buddha, you know, taught how to end suffering. Yep. And then I thought some more. And I mean, it's not really about the world at all. It's about my own ignorance. So, you know, that causes my suffering. And the sukha is the wisdom I gained from my practice. Yep. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I like this one line. It said, having savored the taste of solitude mm-hmm. and release. I like the word savor because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's not good, bad, like, dislike. I mean, it's much more than that. So thank you. Thank you, Jane. Everything the Buddha teaches relates to the quality of our mind in the present moment, doesn't it? Um, Mm -hmm. There's a line from the Dandavaga um, where it says, uh, violence towards the innocent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one of, I can't remember who it was right now, sent me an email questioning, what do we mean by innocence? Is, Is that implying that the Dhamma, that nonviolence towards innocence is only relative to people who are innocent and meaning that it's okay to beat the hell out of guilty people. And remember the Buddha is talking about a quality of mind. So it doesn't mean that, that someone who is acting with a lot of transgressions towards, towards other human beings is guilty of something in our minds, because we understand the nature of ignorance, promoting that kind of behavior in other people. We don't judge them harshly because we understand it. They're innocent they're in our minds. They're innocent of our own judgments. That's what this, the and so the Dhamma leads leaves us in peace, no matter what's occurring in the world. While we're deeply engaged in the world, we we see it as it truly is, and that's where understanding comes from. Good evening, Josh. Good evening, John. I apologize for barging in to the middle of the jhana. I'm just uh, glad you joined us. <laughs> I, I, I thought the meeting started at, at uh, 5.30, and so I, would, I thought 5.15 was community time, but uh, I'll get better. <laughs> uh, Don't worry, I'm glad you, I'm glad you joined us. Uh, I really needed this Suda <laughs> today. Me too. Uh, I kind of go through the day where I'm kind of halfway conscious of what I'm supposed to be doing. And the other half of the time, I kind of have this kind of generic irritation about things not going well. And I know it's my ego getting in the way and I just can't get far enough away from Josh sometimes. And it's stupid things like uh, uh, not getting to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Yeah. And and uh, uh, so I try I try to, and it does help me to practice just being constant, working on my breathing and trying to. Bring it back and say just how important is it, and and uh, uh, try to live live a little more skillfully. Although uh, 
I have to admit, I've, 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 I've got a ways to go. Thanks. Thank you, Josh. But you're, you are seeing the Dhamma as it should be seen. You know, you're recognizing when um, manifestations of a fabricated self are creating difficulties in your own mind and you take a breath, bring your mind back into your body and start framing, and you're not start, you are framing things ever more increasingly from the point of view of right view. Good for you, and I'm glad you joined us tonight. Ram, how are you? I'm good. <clears throat> yeah, I got right from the, from the beginning that that first line, within a hostile world, the wise remain free of hatred. Um... And how difficult that is. Yeah. Um, the sutta that I did uh, last, um, there was a lot about not disparaging others. Yeah. And it's been in other, uh, um, other parts of the Dhammapada as well. And this <clears throat> disparaging others is so easy to do. And the Buddha really warns against it very strongly because it is always an expression of ego personality. Yep. You only the only reason why you would disparage anybody else is because you are right. Yep. And that's a tough one to give up. Or I feel threatened and I need to elevate myself above you. Right. Yeah. Yep. Still it's, ego. It's it's always that 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 identity that's at yeah. stake here. Yeah. And um, you know, even uh, innocent discussions end up just with subtle digs, and you know, disparaging has has many many um, many forms. Yeah. Uh, but. Giving it up completely is, is a tough one to do. Mm -hmm. What we're practicing for. Yeah, wise. Practicing. Well said. Yeah. Very wise. Thank you, Ron. Hello, David. Hello, John. Uh, I kind of read the, the hostile as these microaggressions that you have inside. Yeah. And there's just those moments. It's not always outward to people around you, but it's the constant dialogue you have in your, your judgmental self. And this practice is a reconditioning of how you think. Yeah. And the contentment, the moments that are strung together of contentment just become more and more normal. And it's often, I think about the metaphor of jhana and how you return back to your brain. And it's the same thing off the fishing. You return to a level of contentment and it's because you have this practice. And I think I'm pushing into four years at this point. And uh, I just imagine my last moment, I'll return my, my breath. And that's a practice. That's a practice, yeah. David, that was, it was just incredible insight to, it, it's easy to, to see hostility as, you know, 
kind of what's going out in the world or wars or, or one guy beating up another guy or that kind of thing. And that certainly is an act or acts of hostility. But with the Dhamma, we get to understand these very, very subtle acts of what you call microaggression. And, and that's really where we get hung up on. That's, those are the ones that, that truly destroy us and destroy our minds um, because they are so hard to see. And it takes, it takes profound understanding to really see, profound concentration to actually see them in the right framework because it's an aspect of ignorance for a mind that didn't have that proper training to simply ignore these things, no matter how hurtful they are towards ourselves and others. Human beings live their whole lives not even, not even, seeing, even, not even seeing the gross forms of hostility. Forget these very subtle aspects that, that are really debilitating. Thank you for that great insight. Matt, where's Matt? There he is. John, good to see you. Good <laughs> to see everybody. Um, I really like this sutta. Very short, but, um, you know, that removing the thorn of craving brings contentment. Yeah. So when we're not grasping after or avoiding how we're feeling, whether it's these, you know, this hostility towards ourselves in the forms of these microaggressions or overt hostility towards others out in the world. When we're not grasping after or avoiding what we're feeling, we're content. Yeah. And to me, that speaks to restraint. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what this practice is it's the practice of restraint and when we're when our minds are restrained at the sense gates then we're content yeah. Yeah. that's what, again great insight matt thank you when our minds are restrained at the sense gate that's it wise restraint brett good to see you tonight good to see you too <clears throat> good to be here um nice to see everybody um, definitely in my life, I think I've been <clears throat> seeing a lot of clinging and craving recently, and uh, I don't know if it's boredom or something, but it's the, you know, you know, seeing that I need to work on that, and I, I know it, and it's, it's you know, it's picking up my phone, looking at it. I was in the beginning of the pandemic, it was you know, I wanted to <clears throat> detach from everything, and now it seems to be, I don't know, flaring back up, but I'm aware of it, and I think that's. I'm aware of all of it. And I think that's what's trying to get me, you know, driving me a little nuts is trying to, you know, is, you know, figuring out other ways to not be so grasping and clinging and, you know, so, I mean, it's just meditation, you know, coming back to your breath or, you know, in, in restraint and realizing when you're doing it. So I'm working on it. Uh, thank you, but I think you're doing good work too. It, 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 it's always important when we, when we, recognize that we're not quite in accordance with the Dhamma, that we very gently come back to the Dhamma without any harsh judgments of ourselves uh, or worldly conditions. It, it's easy to get pissed off at the world today, isn't it? And the, the things that are going on. It, it, and it, it is what it is. It, it, it's, it, the Buddha described what's occurring in the world today 2,600 years ago. I looked out in the world and the world is a flame. A flame with what? A flame with the fires of passion. And that's what's driving everybody crazy, isn't it? Whether it's right or wrong or this or that, it, it's still the fires of passion that are making us all a little nuts. Mm -hmm. Except those that have taken true refuge and developed the, 
Suka that's found in the Dhamma. Glad you joined us tonight. Where's Tim? There he is. That's Kevin. Hey, Kevin, I almost missed you. <laughs> How are you, Kevin? <laughs> you didn't recognize me with this face shield. It's like that's sci-fi yeah. stars all over. <laughs> I thought I was taking a picture. Um, just what David had said and sort of what Matt was saying, um, you know, what I, what I see in this is sort of this, you know, the path of Dukkha is, is the worldly path or the outward path. And, and it's mm. born of, born of craving for self-establishment and, and manifested or experienced through clinging to worldly phenomenon and permanent worldly phenomenon. We know them as objects, events, views, and ideas. And the inward path is the path of Sukha. And, that, and that's born of cessation and experience through practice of the Eightfold Path, as we all know. And I just, uh, I really liked how that was discussed here. And that's sort of the, yeah. the dual, uh, you know, the duality that, 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 that seems to be very clear in this, this passage. So, uh, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Glad you're here tonight. Tim. <laughs> um. Profound contentment. So uh, I, I think what Kevin kind of nailed it. It's the um, what we experience when we're develop when we're on when we're practicing the Dhamma. Um, the and you know that these chapters again these the words are in there that we're all talking about. Some things that really spoke out to me on this was the conditioned thinking brings the worst suffering. And to me, that points right to the Anatta, okay? Because those things of the, those conditioned thinking are the entities that get us into those that dependent origination, into that ongoing yep. suffering and not recognizing ignorance. And so, um, and it's easy for, you know, when I first, when anybody reads this one, for me, when we think of words of possessing nothing, we tend to think of materialistic things, but it's more than that. It's, it's a lot more than that. Um, the liberation and, the, and purity can be obtained by being content with life as it is in the present moment. Yeah. And the disease of, again, the, to this the disease of ignorance can be understood by being content and so content is this very neutral state quality of mind where and i've talked to you about this and i know i don't want to get caught up in the minutiae of words but when i look at happiness and sadness i see the danger of grasping and aversion okay. when i but content is, is neither. Content is just being where you are and almost non-expressive, but in a positive way, not in a, not in a, not in, not in an empty way. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's, I think that there are a lot of people who were to come in to, <clears throat> to this on and listen to this would be like, well, that just sounds like they were just being like this, you know, robot. But it's more than it's more than that, and it's so. I think the sukha is needed for that contentment is needed for purity and understanding yeah. of of ignorance. 
And uh, this is this chapter is uh, such a nice follow, you know, from the other chapters we've read, building up, building up. I don't, I don't think I would have understood this without those prior chapters. Yeah. That what what the Buddha was is what means by being by having profound content yeah. or sutta. Again, well said, Tim. We're uh, we're all amazing teachers, and that you point to the importance of understanding the foundation of what the Buddha taught, dependent origination and four noble truths. And once you have that, then you can apply everything else that he taught in, in its appropriate context. And so contentment is is another word for how, the, the word that the Buddha used to describe an awakened, the quality of an awakened mind is calm, because that's content. Nothing needs to be any different. It doesn't, and even in a hostile world, the wise Dhamma practitioner is content because it, that mind does not need this to be any different than it is. Calm and peace. Thank you. Michael. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Michael, Michael. Uh, I mocked up this uh, page pretty good because I feel there's a, a lot in here. Um, I marked up, I went through it and I circled words in here. I'm hung up on words, <laughs> but uh, not without not without a, a reason uh, behind this. So these are words I I circled: hostility, craving, greed, insatiable, passion, hatred, suffering, clinging, disease, conditioned thinking, fabrications, distress, aversion, delusion, and foolishness, which are all the not self. Okay. Once recognizing these things as they take place in our mind, and uh, alluding to uh, what David had said that uh, those, those small, <clears throat> small little thoughts that are in our mind that are actually uh, almost like a battle between uh, ignorance and, and, and the self, okay? So, why, if we actually recognize this list of words here and what they mean and how they, and how we internalize them and how we, uh, uh, and they manifest themselves in our lives, like, why would anyone choose any words that are on this list? Ignorance. They're all ignorance. They're ignorance. So, the, my point that I was trying to make here is the recognition of ignorance yeah. within ourselves, okay? Because that's... What's going to, by, again, like, uh, disassociating with all that we are not, we are left with where we should be, uh, uh, which is my main, main objective, or main uh, thought on this as to how to, uh, how to live the Dhamma. So, uh, again, and again, recognizing all these things, we become harmless to ourselves, and uh, that's a word I love, and I, I do believe that's the uh, the word that uh, actually is uh, explains uh, makes me understand uh, the Dhamma as it's intended to be. So that's all I wanted to say about that. Thank you, Michael. Well said. Hello, Julia. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. <clears throat> um, I too circled a lot of words, but um, I also wrote a little. A little paragraph to try to like link it all together. Um, I'll just read my, par my, my paragraph. It's, e it's easier. <laughs> you bounce it around. Um, profound contentment is experienced by the wise. The wise live content within a hostile world, 
free of affliction, free of greed, free, free of aversion, sustained by peace and understanding, knowing the truth of life. So I took those words and I put them all on a line. And so that's the, the line that I that I gathered from all that. And But what is truth? And um, truth is understanding life as it is. It's understanding of the reality that everything is impermanent. Wisdom is understanding the interaction of anatta with the environment of impermanence causes stress and confusion. Um, that's the higher peace and understanding that the Buddha was talking about, understanding this personal experience of dukkha as the five clinging aggregates. Yes. And um, in right view, we govern our thoughts, our actions, and our complete orientation of existence. And that is profound contentment. Mm. <laughs> Again, well said. Uh, I don't mean to keep saying the same thing after all of you speak, but uh, that's what it is. And it's not all that complicated, is it? Yes, no? No. It just ta- it does it just takes continued right effort. And we, we simple. It, yeah, maybe that's maybe the, the deceptive part is the difficult part. But it's again it's only deceptive because of our our conditioning towards maintaining dukkha and avoiding sukha. Uh, it's a subtle aspect of self loathing. But as we start developing the Dhamma, we start <clears throat> learning to be ever more gentle with ourselves, stop letting go of the the harsh judgments we were almost born with. Learning what it means to be a human being. We make mistakes at times. Sometimes in the past, when we didn't know better, we might have hurt people. We've certainly done things that have hurt ourselves. But we let that go because we understand that it's rooted in ignorance. We are, in effect, the innocence that was talked about in the Dandavaga. How could we judge ourselves harshly? We simply didn't know any better. We wouldn't we wouldn't chastise a child for sticking her hand in a cookie jar, at least not in a violent way, because we understand why, why a child does it. Kevin? That was what I was gathering when the possessions, when you were mentioning that. I, I saw it as that way, that the possessions of self-thought, you know, the possessions of mm-hmm. self-hatred, these, these microaggressions, yeah. those are possessions. Those are the heaviest of all possessions, yeah. right? Yeah. Everything else is just pff, cars, junk. I mean, look, it's all just going to turn into dust anyway those yep. thoughts are the ones you really got to take care of you really have to practice restraint yep. the slightest transgression the wise know this and it takes a lot of work it, it takes time yeah. it takes a lifetime of practice to figure that out yeah it that's does why you keep going yeah and it takes it takes a associate with the wise so I mean. yes and it it, it, it it takes the it takes the right focus the point I'm making is that the the reason why the Eightfold Path is so brilliant but so necessary is that it maintains the right focus. A ninefold path or a sevenfold path won't do it. And this is what the Buddha awakened to. He gave us this this roadmap to Sukha. And all that we have to do is walk that path to develop it. And, And develop it in our own time and in our own way. But I, that, that last line, in our own way, we need to be a little cautious about it because it doesn't mean in our own manner. Here's the Dhamma. You know, the, 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 it keeps ringing in my ears lately. The Buddha's last words, maybe because I'm trying to finish this before the cow gets me, the Mahaparinibbana Sutta. The Buddha said, I've given you all that you need. I'm not like a teacher with a closed fist. 
I've given you everything need everything you need. Strive diligently for your own awakening. Your own awakening. It's up to us. It's not up to Lord Buddha or the God Buddha or a crazy bald-headed teacher. It's up to us as individuals to develop that, that profound sukha, that profound contentment in our lives. But we know we can do it. How do we know? Because we're a reflection of that for each other. We're all providing that, that sustenance for sukha within this amazing sangha that we have. And, the, and you heard it tonight, the, the amazing teachers that we have, but all of you are just incredible yeah, dharma teachers. From other people around the country. And email, yeah. we just got a, a beautiful email from uh, a, a young student out. In, I don't know, I shouldn't say young because I don't, I don't really know her age. Um, but just show, just expressing her appreciation for what's developed here. And, and, and it, it can't, I have to mention it, and also a deep appreciation uh, for our teachers that she's listened to of. You know, so we got a good thing going. You know, we got, we have sukha established here. Uh, and we're going to continue. So uh, we'll, we'll finish as we usually do with Meta. Okay. Second to get our glasses off. And again, these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. See you, Josh. See you, Jane. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Thank you John. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, John. See you Saturday. Bye. Have a good week. You too. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.